Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Event Industry News podcast. I am your host, Adam Parry, editor at Event Industry News. And today I am joined by a very special guest, Brian Fanzo, or better known as iSocialFans. Um, he is a digital futurist, a keynote speaker, a podcaster, and, and very more recently, now a virtual event host. Brian, welcome, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, we're, we're, we're meeting virtually in this new virtual world, so uh, excited to be here. This super social distanced world where we will never meet face to face ever again. <laughs> Hopefully not. <laughs> Brian, I've known you a while now. I've been on the podcast with you and we chat all the time. But for those that maybe haven't heard of you before, can you give us a little bit of background about who you are, what you speak about, and how you kind of got started with speaking in the events industry? Yeah, so thanks so much for having me on. You know, um, you know, my background, I think lots of us believe our backgrounds are unique and different. And I'm one of those that kind of lives in that space. You know, I... Yeah. Um, graduated college with a computer science degree, um, actually computer science with a concentration in web design, uh, and couldn't get a job in tech, worked at UPS delivering packages, you know, uh, and uh, ended up getting an overnight help desk job in cybersecurity for uh, the Department of Defense here in the uh, United States. And uh, I lived in Northern Virginia, right outside Washington, DC. And I had the overnight help desk job and Quickly into my career, uh, about six months in, uh, the boss came in uh, on a Friday and just said, hey, you know, we had a whole help desk, um, uh, you know, a floor and said, hey, who here would like to go uh, to Korea Monday and teach one of our courses? And I just happened to have my hand up first. And he said, do you have a passport? I was like, nope. He's like, you ever been out of the country? I was like, I've been on a cruise. <laughs> he was like, are you confident you could teach this course? And I was like, yeah, I'm confident I could teach the course. So I got a same day passport. I spent every minute, uh, and of course this was kind of pre-YouTube, uh, on SharePoint watching videos and reading, and reading documents on my 13 hour flight to Korea. And I got on my first high speed train and I taught a four day course on um, cybersecurity tools for the US government for the, for the soldiers that were in Korea. And so yeah, I taught an online course, or I taught a course for the, the US uh, military that were there. And so on the way home, you know, this is BlackBerry days. I, I landed in Atlanta and turned on my BlackBerry, my, you know, my international BlackBerry. And I got a message from uh, the government lead that was sent to my boss. And it's pretty much said, you know, if um, that was the best reviewed class we've ever had, if Brian's willing to do the courses, we'll move from um, four courses a quarter to four courses a month. And when I got into my, my, uh, back into my office a couple of days later, uh, they had promoted me pretty much, you know, four levels above where I was at. I got to take wow. over a team and I ended up working there for nine years. I grew the team. Uh, we had about 32 employees. We ran uh, nine courses a week around the world. I traveled to 54 countries, uh, three trips to Iraq, two to Afghanistan, uh, pretty much every U.S. military base outside of the, of the U.S. And it was exciting, fun. Uh, I had the top level security clearance you could get, and it gave me this opportunity not only to see the world, but to work with the military, teach all these courses, and, you know, and I like to say I had like one of the hardest jobs in the world because I had to try to get the Navy to share cybersecurity policies with the Army. I mean, I'm talking like, I mean, and this is cybersecurity 2004 to 2010, right? And like that, that not only was it not cool, but like, sharing policies we didn't really even under like we were on playing defense mm. um and you know and during that time i got kind of um you know i remember my government lead coming in and he's like brian i love what you're doing and um i would love you to be the face 
of cybersecurity right now for what we're doing. And I was like, you know, I'm really honored. He's like, well, don't take this the wrong way. He's like, but you're really one of the only non-gray haired people we have here. And I was like, oh, like, how am I not supposed to take that the wrong way, right? Like, but the interesting part was they sent me to public speaking class because you couldn't brief um, at the Pentagon um, to the Joint Chiefs of Staff if you didn't get certified in this, uh, this speaking thing. And so I went to the, the course and of course it's one of the ones I was like, don't talk with your hands, don't move. And I am like, the, I talk with my hands, I talk fast, you know. And you know, I definitely, it, it took a little bit of work to pass that. Um, but then I was, you know, I became one of the youngest to ever present in front of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. I did it every quarter. Um, my claim is that I was the first one to ever not wear a tie. And part of that was in like this idea of the topics I was helping at the time was about change and how do we adapt and get younger people into the military and the government because most of them don't know what we do. And like, there was a big gap in that. And so, you know, I worked there for you know nine years and I kind of got to a point where our contract was ending. And I just realized that, you know, working in the government space is very hard in the yeah. sense of more often than not, you're deploying technology is a little older than it should be. Um, lots of spinning wheels, lots of, you know, uh, things, you know, bureaucracy. And um, against all of my mentor's wishes and everyone that was advising me. Um, and, you know, interestingly enough, I, I still made more money then than I do now even today. So like as much as my career, I'm very happy where it went. Uh, there was there's some, some, uh, some reason that they gave me that advice. But um, I left there and ended up taking a job, kind of my dream job, which was uh, and interestingly enough, we're recording this today. It was seven years ago today. So I, cause I came up on my Facebook uh, memories, but yeah, seven years ago today, I took my dream job, which was a technology evangelist uh, for a data center company. And really what that meant was I was the face of the data center company, got to speak at all of the cloud data center type events like Gartner, AWS, uh, VMworld, all these big, um, I was in Mobile World Congress in Barcelona, a lot of SAP events in Europe. And I had a great time. Like it was, uh, and I worked there for two years and ten days. And um, it, we we were that typical startup where we were hiring twelve new hires a week. I mean, it was. I mean, we had the food trucks and like you know the ping pong tables. And uh, and uh, at the time, we the company was get, uh, was under acquisition, and uh, the the company was going in a buy. Was like, what is an evangelist? Like that didn't make sense. And I was like, oh, it's modeled after Guy Kawasaki and what he did at Apple. And you know, I help all these teams. Um, and within a day, uh, they pretty much were like, yeah, that, we're buying the company and we're not gonna have, we don't have any room for uh, any evangelists. And uh, that was the first day I became an entrepreneur. So I, I packed Crazy. my bag and, and funny enough, like on the front of that building, like on the entryway was my big picture because I was the face of the company. So like I was walking out of this company um, and that's kind of how I, you know, walked into the enterprise world. And so, you know, for the government, I, I was speaking a lot on stages. Um, for the, the data center, I was the face speaking all around um, the world. But funny enough, even at that moment, so five years ago, um, I had no idea professional speaker was a job. And, mm. I, and I, you know, I don't know if that's naive, like, you know, one of my mentors, uh, Scott Stratton, you know, he talks about when he was, you know, 11 years old and seeing Les Brown on the TV. And he knew at that moment he wanted to be a professional speaker. I'm kind of the opposite, right? I was, yeah. I was 32 years old and then I was like, wait, they get paid and I was like, oh, it's just authors and celebrities, right? Like that was like, like still my version of what speaking was. And so, you know, I did a little bit in the agency side, was doing a lot of influencer work with a lot of brands. 
And, you know, uh, March of 2014, uh, Meerkat came out, the live streaming app at South by Southwest. And I happened to be speaking at Mobile World Congress, uh, Barcelona, a couple of days beforehand. I got an early taste to it. And I landed at South by um, having already used the live streaming app to my Twitter community, which is what, where uh, I have you know, a pretty big following. And I was getting 12,000 people to wow. watch me live walking the streets of South by. And it was like my, like I wasn't a huge video person before I had run a Google Hangout show, but I wasn't like a YouTube star or any, or, you know, broadcaster, but live video kind of just was this, it's my medium. It's allows for the freedom of, making mistakes and kind of rolling with the punches and it's really raw and real. And uh, from, you know, I, I, would, I would almost say it's from there, it was history because live video opened the door to my background, the things I'm all about. And I started getting inquiries to speak, move that into like, okay, how do I make this port more of my full business? So, you know, 2015, uh, 60% of my business was uh, public speaking, uh, 2017, 80%. And then last year, uh, I moved pretty much all of my business and focus uh, was about 95% of my business was keynote mm -hmm. speaking. And right now I'm an unemployed keynote speaker <laughs> as I have uh, lost you know, uh, the 18 gigs I had through this, between now and the summer, of course, have either been postponed or put out there. Yeah. But the interesting tie between all of that is a lot of my work over the last five years was you know, I helped launch IBM, Dell, SAP, uh, Samsung, their very first Facebook Live, their very first Instagram Live. Um, I did, you know, 24 hours of live streaming uh, a virtual event at the Super Bowl with four different uh, enterprise companies interviewing them. And so for me, like the digital, like my, and the talks that I talk about is, you know, how do we connect, you know, this is my, and this has been my, this is the reason I left the government really is I believe that technology, innovation, digital is going to make the world a better place. But we have to find the synergy between technology, innovation, and humanity. And I really focus a lot on that, that, that intersection, right? And it's, it's an education play. It's the adoption. It's understanding where these things fit and then what we can do better when we use these things. Like, you know, that, that whole thing, it's, it's my world. And so interestingly enough, this uh, coronavirus you know, devastating. I went through all the grieving periods, you know, losing all of my business, even lost my, re my retainer clients because a lot of them were in, in the event space as I was advising, you know, content strategy and, and marketing. And while at the same time, the influx of every person reaching out to me, I'm like, Brian, this is perfect for you. Brian, can you help us with virtual? And so it's been a, you know, a roller coaster. It's an interesting ride, but, um, you know, I think, I think we're all kind of growing and learning and I would say out of all of that, you know, the piece that I'm proudest of is, you know, I'm a dad of three girls um, that, you know, for me, you know, my, my true mission there is trying to make the world a better place in, in their future. You know, they're 10, 8, and 6. And, you know, in these current times, you know, kind of being regrounded and seeing that is, uh, you know, allowed me to be happy with where I'm going. But, you know, it's also interesting to kind of reflect back. That's an amazing story, man. I, I, you know, like I said at the beginning, I've, I've known you for a while. We were introduced to people within the events industry. And I think that's the first time I've heard your, your full story of how you, how you came into it. And I think the one thing that initially from right at the beginning I, I took away from that was kind of like the Richard Branson quote, right? Um, if you don't know how to do something, say yes and figure it out. And that's, that's the opportunity that you took, right? Most people would have gone and said, I can't do that because I have no idea how to do it. It's interesting because I was speaking to somebody in recruitment who was saying that today job descriptions are so elaborate that nobody's got all the skills to do that job 
what they're looking for is somebody that's got like 50% of those skills and can figure the rest of the rest of it out, right? They don't know what 50%, but they just want, they kind of go, here's a garden list of everything that we want, like if you can do it. So, and I kind of got into speaking the same way. Nobody asked me to speak it as, as in the company, you know, nobody forced me to. It was something that kind of, as the opportunity came up, I was like, well, I don't know if I can do it. So why not have a crack at it and, 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 and see what happens. And now, same as you, I, I speak internationally, regularly, um, not uh, the same kind of not face-to-face at the moment because <laughs> that's kind of dried up. But coming on to that, I think, you know, there's, there's probably many speakers listening to this um, podcast now and, and this podcast is aimed at speakers. Um, you know, what I saw from you very quickly was not only did you sit on your hands and kind of go, okay, well, face-to-face, we'll see what happens. And when face-to-face comes back, hopefully the gigs will roll in. You took it upon yourself to figure it out. Again, to, to kind of go out there and go, okay, what do virtual events look like right now? What can I do as an influencer and a thought leader to help other people deliver great virtual events? And what can I do for other speakers? How can I tell them what they can do as well. And I've seen it straight away. There's so many people flocking to you from the industry side of things, from the, from the actual production and delivery of events, looking at you going, we need somebody to tell us how to, how to do it. And, and I've seen, there's lots of stuff on social. So if you follow Brian and, and have a look at what he's been doing, because there's so much information there and, and, and such good information. But one of the things that I've kind of noticed a lacking is quality on the speaker side and that's not the quality of the presentation as the speaker and who they are and the, and the content they're delivering but a lack of expectation or understanding about what a great presentation looks like virtually right so speakers generally get all the pizzazz and the coolness and everything taken care of them by the person delivering the event the stage the set the sound the lights all that kind of stuff the, the, the ambiance of an event that does help speakers so much in set the scene and, and have a great presentation. Now they're in their own homes or offices or, or bedrooms and, and like me, like I am. And they may not have got the best camera. They may not have got the best setup. They're probably even trying to use things like AirPods and stuff and not necessarily podcast mics and all that kind of stuff. And for me, that's one of the biggest areas I think this industry and, and speakers need to go through is a mindset of right now it's my responsibility to help deliver great audio, video, lighting, and a great experience. And I think that's one of the first questions. In, in your opinion, Brian, and you've had, to make, you've had to adapt quite quickly yourself, what can, some speaker, what can speakers do that want to get into a virtual? What, what can they do initially to make sure that they have the ability to provide a great experience for, for those attendees that are listening? What, what's the top five things do you think that, that kind of make that up? So, you know, this is an interesting piece, right? Because, you know, like I firmly believe virtual events do not replace what we do offline. Like there's not mm-hmm. even a, there, but I do believe they can amplify, they can extend, they can provide massive value 364 days of the year um, outside. But I think as speakers, this is a very interesting world because, you know, the, the idea of what a webinar is, right? From, and this is, and it's interesting threefold, right? So, when someone says, oh, you're gonna do a webinar, we almost have like, okay, that's half of my speaker fee because that's my webinar price, right? And so a brand knows that, we know that. And then there's also like, a, oh, that's me talking over slides. It's not a performance. It's like I'm delivering content. And then there's an expectation of the audience. 
okay, you know, like I made the joke and I, this wasn't even a joke. Uh, I signed up for 10 webinars this week that I had no plan on attending, right? Like I just wanted the recording afterwards so I can listen at two and a half speed, maybe just scan through. And that was the virtual space. Like, let's, I mean, we have, you know, there's lots of, there's virtual platforms, there's video collaboration, but it, when there, when the audience ex expectation was very low, when the value that brands put on it from, to a speakers was very low and the speaker's ability to deliver anything about, like I was appalled, like every, every web, like I've never, never once I've been excited about going to consume a webinar. I've been excited a thousand times to see speakers on stage. Right. And so, that was such a big gap. And for me, as someone that loves virtual and loves live video, one of the aha moments I had was the understanding that a lot of my speaking heroes in on stage, million dollar Hall of Fame speakers are horrible on video. Mm. And it, it, at first it was shocking, but then I also, you know, I've advised a lot of um, uh, social media digital uh, conferences on speakers and in that space, we had to learn quickly just because you're a YouTube creator that is amazing on video does not translate to the stage. So like, we, have to, we, have to give, we have to give credit and, and, and uh, kind of blow up on both sides. And so the interesting thing on that whole disconnect of like, and it's not an age thing, it's not a generation thing at all. Um, to me, what it came down to was, you know, kind of respecting the, the digital audience, the video audience, understanding the mindset, the approach, um, you know, the technology around it. But I think probably more so than anything else, if we, if, we, if we think about it speakers, the greatest thing that we have, and when someone asked me, Brian, like, how would you, are you always passionate when you get on stage? How do you, and the thing I remind myself every time, and I don't know if anyone told me this, maybe I heard it somewhere, but the, I, would, I just look in the audience and I, and I think every time, these people are giving me their 100% attention. And there is nowhere else in life. Like, I mean, like, 100% attention, and it could be 30 minutes, 60 minutes, 90 minutes, could be 10 minutes, whatever it is. And that is, like, I take so much pride in that and so much honor, and, like, I'm going to give you every, I'm going to make this the best presentation I'm going to give in that moment. And funny enough, when we go into the virtual space, it is the opposite of 100% attention, right? Yeah. Not only do we have expectations of what webinars have been, and, I, I, you know, I'm a live video person, done over 3,000 live videos, but I also believe you know, the reason live video is great is because anyone can go live. Mm -hmm. The reason most live videos suck is because anyone can go live, right? Like it's, there's definitely like, not every, like everyone needs to be, you know, pressing the button and going live. And so funny enough, whenever I look at this, you know, the, the limitations or constraints or the advantages of the offline stage, right? The, the, the lighting, the arena, the captured attention, yeah. the ambiance, the, the projection, all of the things that we take pride in. And early on in my speaking career, I was one of those ones that was like, I don't want to be a diva. So I wouldn't say what I wanted. Right. I was like, I'll do, I'll do whatever. Right. And sometimes no confidence monitor, somehow like a handheld mic and I talk with my hands. So I'm like, Oh my. Um, and then I realized like, you know, and it was, you know, I think it's a you know, maturity thing where I was like, wait a second, I need to make sure I set myself up for success so that I can provide the best product for my client and the audience. And so I started to be a little bit, you know, I, I travel with a, you know, uh, a, two different microphones with yep. me that I know work with a majority of, of pieces. You know, I have six different remotes that work for, you know, projection. And so when we think about that in the offline world, when we move online, the limitations are gone. Mm -hmm. Yet we've always said, okay, we're going to take what we do offline and move it online. So we're using the same offline limitations and attempting to deliver value online to an audience that has 
1,000 tabs open, right? They, they have notifications on every device. They, you know, right now we have our kids running behind us. We have, we also have this, this expectation where, you know, like even a YouTube video, right? Like there's YouTube videos, there's podcasts. Like, I mean, I create a lot of video. I mean, 3,000 live videos easily over that and unproduced video that I've created over the years. I am a podcast listener, right? Like yeah. if I'm going to learn something, I'm a podcaster, right? So whenever I look at a virtual experience, we have to really throw out the constraints of offline and redesign what we are going to deliver to, to start with the fact that the audience's expectations are broken. We have to, like, we have to, the first place we have to start is the education of the audience, you know, and, and where that starts. And I, and I can tell you part of my mission, the reason I've been pushing out so much content was, you know, most people would look at that and like, wow, Brian, you're making, you know, you know, helping out the event industry, helping out the speaking industry. It's a lot to help out the audience, right? Because like, I'm doing time-lapse of the four hour, like I, I did a four hour dry run of a two eight minute segment of a talk that I'm gonna give. That's more dry run than I've ever given for any online event that I've, or for any onstage event that I've ever done, right? Like, it's just my style. And I post that time-lapse and part of that reason was like, for me to, uh, to, to you know, hey, to, for me to call out and say, I want your attention and I know you're gonna have distractions. And so I'm not gonna expect you to not be distracted, but I'm gonna give you every reason to not be, to not, you know, give into those distractions. And I'm gonna set up things that although you might be distracted or you might make choices, I give you the opportunity to kind of choose your own adventure, right? And kind of bring mm -hmm. that down. And so when I look at speakers today, what we have to think about is, and it's not about just like 60 minute talk into a 20 minute talk, right? It's not about taking your titles of your talk and making them shorter. Like there's lots of like that kind of advice that's out there. And I think lots of that is good, but I think if we have to like really own this is we have to take our talk and, and pull out, okay, this is the, these are the things that we know of our talk that is, you know, of value, break it into different segments. And then we have to learn from YouTubers, Twitch live streamers. We have to learn from those that have decided to capture audiences attention in this digital, in this digital landscape, right? Like, and you know, like the average watch time of a user on TikTok is 54 minutes mm -hmm. in, in caveat to that. I think Instagram is under three minutes, right? So the average person on Instagram is on their app for three minutes when they open it, 54 minutes on TikTok, right? So I've spent 18 months studying TikTok. I can't dance, I can't sing, barely have, you know, like I, I have some fun on there every once in a while, but I've been following the data, I've been interviewing the creators mm -hmm. and it's, it was all a method, you know, this was me being very methodical and saying, what about this do you like as a creator? What about like this makes you wanna stay on the app? Why do you comment? here, but you've never commented on an Instagram post, right? Why do you watch long form videos on LinkedIn, right? Like LinkedIn videos for me explode. But yet if I send, I ask them to watch a YouTube video that I put more production value into, nobody's watching it, right? Like from that audience. And so I think that's where we start. We have to, we have to, okay, okay. We have this audience and they're, they're distracted, disconnected. And they're also kind of polarized by a lot of bad content in the webinar virtual space that was just talk over crap, right? Like it's, it's just the truth. And like, I mean, I made a commitment two years ago that I would never do a webinar that didn't allow me to activate the video. Yeah. And um, I lost some paid webinar gigs because they're like, oh, the software we're using doesn't have it. And I was like, I won't put my brand there. Like it, it was a thing for me. And so now we have to take this even a step further, right? Like, okay, well now we have everyone's on their machines, on their devices. But one of the interesting pieces of this is the more device time, the more screen time we have, 
the more desire we have for out, going outside and going offline and like all of those pieces. And so we're going to, we have an influx of virtual, just like we had an influx of live video. We have an influx of people, you know, being on the devices and so connected. But I would actually say much like we talk about this generation, like this generation is the most connected generation. They're stuck in their phones. And, the, and in the very same sentence, we will say they're the hardest generation to reach. Right. And we're like, wait a second, didn't you just say, and, and it's, and it's understandable, right? Because when you have customers and audience that has more choices, they're smarter than they've ever been before. They understand how the game is played. They sign up for events using their third email address because they know that you're going to follow it up with like a 30, you know, email, email sequence over the next 24 hours. And so we really have to just become extremely mindful. And I put this onus on speakers, right? Like I went out and I, and I um, reviewed or demoed 68 uh, tools that were, that were labeled as virtual event tools, right? 68 tools. And everyone was like, where's this blog post coming, Brian? Like, what, what is your, you know, like you're making a play into the, you know, virtual event production. I was like, no, no, no. Like it was a very selfish, you know, reason to start was I want to know what all of the technology options are that are out there. I want to know everything. And then I want to look at my own delivery and say, how can I leverage them that add value? What things can I avoid that are just shiny object distractions? And then when I look at that, like that big picture, where is the innovation happening? Where can I push the limits? And so for me, this is where as speakers, like it doesn't have like, and, and funny enough, like, you know, these companies that I'm working with now, and I've, you know, I've moved into like a retainer hosting speaking um, model. Now, a lot of these companies are coming to me and they want to be innovative. Mm-hmm. They don't want to provide webinars. They don't, we don't like webinars, like the new bad word, right? The, the W word is the new bad word in that virtual uh, space. But they're, they're, they're using two key phrases that I think every speaker needs to, to, to take into account. The first phrase that I'm hearing from every brand, and, and this is event teams in brands, because that's mostly like enterprise um, that I'm working with. They all say, Brian, the number one way that we will pay top dollar or pay the exact same fee is if it's a high quality production. That's the, that's the first phrase I'm hearing always. The yep. second one is simplicity. They want to know that either you're controlling all the tech variables or even to the point where like my package now includes you don't need anything. Like I'm going to send you a zoom webinar link. You send it out to all of your team. They will pop on and the next 90 minutes are for me to produce. I'm bringing in people. I got entertainers now that are on my list. And so those two things. And so funny enough, if you think about like this whole, this whole transformation and I'm a big believer in not just virtual as a bandaid and we are going to get back to offline events. Mm -hmm. And and I actually think offline events a year from now will be stronger than they've ever been before because of this desire to be around people. But we're going to see a shift where the, you know, the 300 workshops that were added on to events, right? A lot of these like multi-track, all these, we're going to be able to supplement that information in virtual, but we're also going to be able as speakers to establish trust with the audience prior to us ever taking the stage, right? And we all know as speakers, if that audience already knows me, understands who I am and my background, my ability to deliver value in that 50 minute slot just drastically increased, right? There's mm-hmm. lots of things I have to, I get to remove out of my, you know, and I get to streamline things. And so that's where I look at it as a speaker. Right? And, I, and I'm kind of proof in that, right? So like a lot of my business has been hire me to speak. And then here's my upsell package. Let me do a, a three live video series to your, you know, internal team. Let me create these videos where I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna welcome myself to your audience. And, and speakers be like, Brian, you're giving away all that stuff for free or I can't believe you're doing all that extra work. And for me, it was the, 
you know, go, going to an event industry or an association that I was way outside of my norm, people coming up to me the day before I speak, can't wait to see you speak, shaking my hand. So like, to me, that, that, that was where we're at. And so I, I look at virtual as, I'm, you know, right now it's 100% of my, my, um, my income uh, path, but I do believe it's going to be like one of those like 60, 40 models, you know, in 18 months. And I, I mean, I'm, as a dad of three, I love travel. I've been to uh, 78 countries total, um, you know, and my goal is to, to get to 100 uh, uh, countries. You know, as much as I love to travel, the idea that I can be a little bit more selective and, you know, and, you know, not inundate people. So, yeah, this is, we're, I think we're living in exciting times. I think as speakers, though, if you're even, if you're even thinking that, hey, I'm going to deliver what I deliver offline, online, you might sell it today, you might, you know, and you might be able to provide, but it is not sustainable. And like for me, fee integrity is a big piece. And I'm working really, really hard to dedicate all of my resources, all of my skills, all the talent, all the things, I mean, 3000 live videos. I've, I've, I've done, I can do a three camera shoot produced by myself with overlays. I can do all of that. But for me, the piece of it is where's that balance? And then how do we, as speakers take on that responsibility and the technology can be overwhelming, but there's, there's remote live producers that I work with. I've, I've hired like six of them for different clients that can help take a lot of that burden, right? There's lots of designers and, and, and tools that are out there now that can add some of the graphic overlays. The question is speakers commitment to redesigning the way they present. And that, yeah. and I can honestly say it takes a lot of work, but the, the end result, I mean, it's, I really enjoy giving virtual talks right now and it, a little bit, the bar is really low, which, you know, is, and I'm not one that just wants to step over that bar, but I, 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 I look at it and say, I want to push that limit so far that the audience starts demanding that brands start valuing it from a money perspective and the speakers that know their stuff that provide value that can help people solve problems are going to step up. And that's why like, I've really, you know, I, I went all in, I've created more content, in the last four weeks than I probably have in four years. And I'm a content creator, like to begin with. Um, and part of it is just like, I love, I, I love what I do. It's my dream job. Like I, no hesitation. I don't want to do anything else for the rest of my life than speak. But no. I also look at this whole opportunity as an opportunity to reach, reach the world and an opportunity to show off our skills. And let's face it. I mean, uh, these uneasy times and this massive shift, you know, whatever your specialty was as a speaker and you believe in it, the world needs it. And it's our job to deliver it in a way that can get to those people that we need to get to. Yeah, there's, there's so much in that, mate. But I think a few things that I see, you know, I think it is the responsibility of, of speakers who want it to be their main profession to, to, to learn some of these technologies and platforms and how they work. You know, I, I had a video sent to me from an organizer this morning. And unfortunately, part of the biggest problem that they had was getting speakers to understand how the system worked right so that's a big that's a big pain for them that, 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 that's going to reflect on them as a speaker when they consider bringing them back right oh we had to deal with them rather than them saying i'm cool so that's one thing i think it's really important for speakers to kind of understand the same as you would just you wouldn't just jump in a car and expect it to be the exact same as the last car you'd kind of figure it out right so i, I think that's one point the second point that i think Virtual events are going to create a huge opportunity long-term if people get them right. Long-term, organizers can do more. 
organizers can extend the lifespan of their existing events by taking a two-day event and making it a week, um, which is going to increase the demand for speakers. Because the one thing that we need to be careful of as an industry is we don't just start pumping out content for content's sake to fill gaps, right? Yep. We're going to want that online content to be engaging because that could be that last push to sell tickets for that face-to-face -face event. And what's also interesting is as a speaker, you don't necessarily need to deliver that presentation that you would face-to-face -face virtually. You could do a you could do kind of like the trailer to the movie, right? The, the, the high impact, high energy, like this is the movie in short. Come and see my feature length presentation in the comfort of that face-to-face -face event. Plus you don't want to obviously give away everything, right? Right. Um, so I think there's actually going to be more work for speakers, but the major differentiator is going to be, what does that presentation look like online? Is it engaging? What's the production value? Um, because that reflects on me as an event. And, and when we look at, okay, so middle of the road organizer, they might not be super interested in what's in the background, how, what's the audio like, but when you start getting up to Microsoft and Adobe's and things like that, they are going to want it to look as if it's shot by them on site, as if it's at the event. And yes, it's an investment, cameras and audio equipment and all that kind of stuff. You can spend huge amounts of money on it, but actually you don't need to, to get up to pretty much where everybody is at the moment. If you want to go super far, then, you know, increase your speaker fees, deliver a good quality, get that equipment to pay for itself. And that's what I will look for as an organizer going forward is A, is this content good? But what's this going to look like to my audience? Because that's a reflection of, of my brand and my event and what people are going to engage in long term. It's no, let's look at Netflix. If Netflix put like 420p content up there, nobody would use it. They'd be like, right. screw that. I'm, I'm not doing that. So I think it's, it's really interesting. But I I think, you know, one of the things you said that was important was like high quality production doesn't have to mean high priced you know, yeah. uh, tools. And, I, and like, I just, you know, I've been working with two speakers that are you know, in my mastermind with me. And you know, we've spent, two of them have spent over almost, almost 50 grand worth of uh, equipment to build out their studio. And we're working on that. Um, I also have a setup that uh, has a lot of gear, but I can tell you the, the primary one that I've been using for a lot of my virtual one, the total equipment cost is about 1500 bucks, right? Like, yeah. you know, not with the computer, like the computer would be on top of that. And so, like you said, like that high quality production is much like the high quality ability to perform on stage. It's that ability, you know, to understand, you know, how, how are you, how are you delivering it? What are you using? Like even, even to the point where, you know, like I'm using a three camera shot and like I was talking to other speakers and I'm like, I don't understand that. And I was like, well, for me, it's the emotion, right? So mm. I want to convey this emotion when I'm standing up. I want to convey this emotion when I'm on the whiteboard. And then during the Q&A, I want it to be intimate conversation. So it's going to be in a, you know, it's in a different room on a different camera. And to your point on that whole piece there, like it's for me, it's as much for the event producer as it is for that audience member to really redefine what that meant to get that online value and like part of it to me is also like i want a reason for them to show up not wait to download it right because mm -hmm. they're, if you're you know and, and i am a big believer in the mix of pre-recorded live and produced video like i'm i don't believe every aspect of a virtual event should be live but i do believe if you're if you are skilled in the ability to create a live you know presentation that interacts with the audience that adds live components your production value and your the quality completely 
you know, increases. Now the risks also increase of bad, you know, internet, you know, things that are going wrong. Yeah. But I think that you're right. There is a point right now where, you know, like I, like I said, I'm not willing to, to risk some of those things, but I am, you know, like for a lot of people that come to me, they all expect that I, cause I have the gear, right? I, and I, weirdly, I get, I, my address was posted on like this Reddit forum apparently a while back. And so I, I get boxes of gear sent to me uh, like in my front door. Like, and I'm not complaining at all. Yeah. Um, and it'll be tripods to, you know, cameras to speakers to, and I have a lot of it, but I'm also one that like, I'm a, I'm a, if I'm producing, I have one remote producer and my community manager. I want to mitigate the risk and the variables. And I will oftentimes look like I have, like I have a stream deck um, manager, you know, console right here that has a lot of the buttons set up. And funny enough, it hasn't been plugged in, in in a week and a half because when I looked at all of the things that I have going on, I was like, Ooh, I'd rather have this monitor plugged in and I'll use my mouse over here to double click rather than having this expensive production piece that where I could use the buttons, but now I'm not gonna be able to have this monitor. So then I'm not gonna be able to see some of the questions live. Like, so like, that's the kind of piece. And I, I mean, I've, the amount of speakers that have come, I mean, I'm over 40 one-on-one -on -one calls with different speakers helping with gear. And by the end of it, they're like, Brian, that's not what I expected you to go. Right. Yeah. And so I do think it's so important. I love that you, you really went in that high production is extremely important, but it doesn't mean it has to have extremely high cost. It just has to be produced in a way that you understand all of the opportunities. Yeah. I, I must admit, I, I don't think I can, I can, Say that was my own thing. I think I learned that probably from Casey Neistat when people were asking him constantly, like, what camera do you shoot on? He was like, it doesn't matter. Just shoot, right? Yeah. You can't create content without capturing. And, and ultimately, you know, once you start creating, once you start creating content, and the same goes for once you start speaking virtually, you'll figure out where the gaps are. Yep. I mean, my base advice would invest in a $100, $200 microphone, make sure you're comfortable more than anything yep. and, and have a decent webcam and you know logitech do some great stuff and, and there's bunches of out there but you know with probably sub 500 you can get to where i would be happy yep you know what i mean um, yeah I, I have a kit up on my um on my amazon influencer page and i call it the starter kit and it's a ring light logitech brio web camera and the blue yeti microphone yep and i firmly believe everyone you know from a zoom video call to a presenter you add those three simple components and you go from, you know, blurred vision and echoes to you might not even need a headset. You have lighting no matter where you're at. Like you could be sitting in the corner with your kids running around behind you and pull off a good uh, piece there. So I think that's an, I think that's an important, you know, uh, element for sure. Well, for those listening in, we will um, link in the show notes to Brian's list. So anybody can go there see check out what he suggests and have a look at his kit and we'll also link to a bunch of his videos on how to do virtual speaking i'm fully expecting kind of like a um a, a platform a series in education from you guys coming out of of how to be a great speaker that i can invest in because speaker, <laughs> speakers investing speaking courses your your company um sorry the uh, the the military for you invested in you going on a speaking course sure. and virtual is it, it, delivering great content and delivering great sessions and virtual will be a skill that is required to learn so i think if you don't somebody else will and and, and that's something i've been investing because not only can i get better skills but i can probably do it from the comfort of my home own home i don't <laughs> have, to, have to go anywhere just just briefly back on to, to presentation styles um this kind of keeps up coming up um, quite regularly about you know you don't necessarily need to transition a 60 minute session onto virtual in fact one of the one of the most enjoyable sessions that i ever had to deliver i was given seven minutes 
like that was I usually take five for introduction never mind <laughs> anything else and I think the great thing I, I'm just starting to also get involved in TikTok and learning and, and seeing what it's about I think one of the things that makes that great is you have to be extremely creative because you only have 60 seconds right you only have 60 seconds to capture somebody's attention and entertain them and I think that's I don't know if you agree but maybe we'll see a whole new subset of presentation styles and formats come out that work better on virtual because yeah I've got my phone over here and, and all of a sudden my wife's text me and somebody's pinged me a message or somebody's trying to get hold of me on slack from the team and I'm, I'm kind of it's vying for my attention so have you kind of come across presentation presentation styles that you think would work virtually or what are you kind of what what skills are you employing at the moment to make those presentation styles engaging so one of the talks that I'm giving this Friday, uh, the title of it is Limitations Inspire Creativity. Mm. And it's a thousand percent in the idea where when we make it seven minutes, you're going to have to get creative with what you say, how you say, prioritize those pieces. Um, one of the things that I've focused on was, you know, like I, I, you know, I worked really hard to make that 60 minute keynote really good, right? Like, and I know it's really good, um, you know, given it 60 times, right? So what I decided was like, rather than saying I have to like get rid of 40 minutes of it or 50 minutes of it, I was like, how can I take it, throw it on the wall and redesign it completely, but still have it. And so I've created my one 60 minute talk, press the damn button, that talk. Um, I've turned it into four eight minute talks. And what I've decided was, what's nice about that is each eight minute, six to eight minute segment is presented in a different style of format, like even like a different whole different, even different camera view, different, uh, my, and my whole idea there is, I will, if someone wants me to deliver for 25 minutes, they're going to get three of those pieces, right? Because it's, I already know they go together, but every six to eight minutes, I'm changing up the perspective, the, the style. It could be everything from the lighting. It could be, I'm going to roll in a bumper. I mean, one of the ones I'm doing next week, um, after my first eight minutes, I'm bringing in three influencers on there with me. They're each going to give a two minute like testimonial of what they've done in that same space. I'm going to send them away and then I'm going to give my next eight minutes. Like we couldn't do that offline, right? Like mm -hmm. bringing up in the middle of my presentation, three random people, like, you know, like this doesn't like that. And, but virtually it makes a thousand percent sense and it gives people a reason to watch the first eight minutes. And then all of a sudden they hear that part and it's going to lead into my next eight minutes. So that's, that, that's the kind of thing that I'm really thinking about. And you know, that goes into lighting, emotion, um, you know, direction. Like, and I, and I think even to the point of, knowing when something should be pre-recorded versus live. So like yeah. I'm recording some pre-recorded um, components that I know that if I deliver this pre-recorded, I can jump in the chat and foster some engagement, right? Or I can change my setup. Like one of the ones I, uh, that I just did this week, you know, like I, I did a two minute really well produced like bumper video in between, right? So I was giving this talk and I was like, actually, I'm gonna send you guys, I want you guys to watch this for the next two minutes clicked it in. It's a video and it's a really, you know, like I, I didn't produce it. I, I shot the B-roll, sent it to like someone that knows what they're doing in that video production. But in that two minutes, I went and moved, I moved in my, my black background, changed my lighting around and completely my scenario. Two minutes ends and they see me sitting somewhere else. And I was like, and so now we're going to, and I did like a picture in picture and like the audience not only was like, what in the world's yeah. going on? But they, like, to me, this is that whole lean in moment, right? Like they just leaned in and said, what you know, and, and funny enough, like I changed my hat, right? Like, like we like in the, in the, in the scheme of virtual, there is a desire, right? And so like um, a good friend of mine, Mark Bowden, uh, who uh, wrote a book called Truth Plane, you know, he talks about using the one thirds of the video screen, 
right? So like understanding when you should be leaning on one third of the screen, you know, and having, you know, more brightness on one side versus, you know, when you're center screen, you know, and understanding like these components. And, you know, I've spent more time on nonverbal cues, lighting, than I have anything else, right? And, and I think that's the, that's the, you know, part of it as well, you know, and testing out different ways, right? So I've been using uh, Prezi video. I think if anyone follows me on social, they've seen that. Um, it's a tool that I didn't even know about until uh, the first week of March. And they apparently came out in like November, December. And Prezi, I used Prezi in the past, but it, you know, it, it requires a completely different mindset. But the Prezi video component, they have templates that are video templates and they have some customization. And for me, all of a sudden I was like, wait a second, like I can just use the graphics, the design graphics that I paid someone to create for my keynote. I can turn those into like interactive overlays Therefore, I can drop the slide background, can drop all the crazy words on the screen and just present this next to me in a very easy format. And I mean, I, yesterday during the hackathon, I mean, we had, we had uh, three hours total. We spent like two and a half on a team of four of us on designing this you know, um, presentation. And like with 30 minutes left, like, Brian, do you want to do it on Prezi? I was like, this is going to be a tough, and like 30 minutes I, I took, and we had heavy slides, right? With lots of bullets. And I created a 10 minute presentation with, uh, with eight different touch points on an interactive graphic using Prezi. I even you know, downloaded the, the file. I added the logo of the company into the graphic. And I did this all using like free tool, it's Canva. You know, and this is all me playing around. And it's years of like, oh, I need a PMG lower third. How do I do that? Google it, figure out how to make a PMG lower third. And you're like, and that's, that's the repertoire. And so I think as speakers, you know, I, I do truly do believe the limitations in virtual are only with our imagination. Yeah. Like, I mean, I, I, I'm testing out right now. I haven't delivered it yet, but I put a Brene Brown hologram next to me. And my goal is that the hologram isn't just a hologram, that it's going to actually give her quote that I quote in, in one of my talks. And so like, I put the, like Brene Brown and like, and funny enough, someone tagged her in a, in a post. Um, and they're like, Hey, I have connections there. Like, she might be willing to record that piece in the, with the background that I would need. Um, because to me, like, you know, like it's like that, those kind of uh, environments, but you know, we're also going to see, I mean, we're already seeing it. Like every live video tool calls themselves a virtual event tool, right? Mm -hmm. Every tool is a webinar tool, virtual event tool, uh, every virtual event platform, you know, and um, we're going to see it on the flip side of all of these different like overlays and broadcasts and all of these are going to be like, you know, and I'm getting in, you know, an influx of them. I think one of the important pieces of it is testing. Like, I mean, it's the story of my career, right? I don't, I have no problem failing and I have no problem testing. And I always say like, I test a bunch of stuff and I put it out to the world. Like for me, it's, hey world, this is what I'm doing. Cause I want to hear how other people would use it. But almost every time other people use it better than I do. And I am a thousand percent okay with that because we're kind of like leveling the bar up together. And like, I already know, like, I mean, I, the Prezi video link that I shared in that, um, in that uh, talk yesterday, I think I had 180 clicks on it within a half hour, right? And I already knew like, there's a lot of these smart event people in that room. They're gonna look at Prezi video and do things that I haven't even and thought of. And I went to bed last night very proud of the fact that like, this is gonna up the level of virtual event, you know, content moving forward. And I think that's, that's what we as speakers can, you know, get creative with. And, and you know, and for others, you know, getting comfortable just narrate talking to a camera that has no audience like it is hmm. it is not normal I mean, anyone who's done any video knows you hate it at the beginning you're uncomfortable watching yourself it takes so long to get used to but at the same time like we all have our own little tricks to make it work like one of my one of my good friends he doesn't sing he's a he's a motivational speaker in the culture space but he sings before he does video so he hits record and he's singing he gets that like momentum where he feels like he's in that performing and then he records 
And like, no one's ever seen the singing segments because he's like, I would never let anybody see that. But his, his engagement, his passion is always there in, in video, right? And so as speakers, we, we got to get creative, right? Like I, I'm a standing person, right? So I will not give a talk not standing. So I ended up buying some, some mats for the, the floor so that I could be on, you know, comfy on the floor. I'm also, I, I wear, I'm barefoot. So then I was like, well, how do I make the video not show my feet? So where you're like, you know, it's like, there's all these things of setting yourself up for success. That's why like my, my soapbox has been, you know, the two things that I think speakers really can look at is the, they're both ease, right? Emotion, all the different ways that you can convey emotion with virtual event. And the second one is environment. Mm -hmm. How do you create both the environment around you and the environment using the tools to, to make it the best that you can make it? Yeah, I was, I was definitely one of those people that clicked on that Prezi mate because I wanted to see how you did it. I couldn't, unfortunately. I got invited to take part in the um, socio hack, but um, was actually helping out with another hack because um, everybody seems to be doing virtual hacks at the moment as well, <laughs> yep. which, is, which is great. I, that's something that I didn't, didn't see before as a engagement presentation style. Yep. And, and just some of the things that you, you suggested that I wish we could do those in the real world. I wish we could oh, me too. have the budget to, for you to do an eight minute presentation. And then while you're rolling some B roll and some footage to tell a part, another part of your story that we could change, do a, do a wardrobe change and a, <laughs> and a stage change. And I mean, it's possible clearly because there's clever people in the events industry that could do that. But could you imagine the budget that would be oh, yeah. needed to, to, to kind of do that thing? So and, I think and the dry run and the practice and the AV. Oh, oh my goodness. I mean, it's like globe, golden globes kind of level into it. It's like, yep. <laughs> do you know what I mean? It's movie stuff. But, and I think that's, again, one of the great things. We, we shouldn't be looking at virtual as this is a stopgap. This is a, this is a replacement to face-to-face to, to -face events. What this actually is, it's its own thing. And it's, it, it can be part of a face-to-face event. It can wrap around, it can work in harmony. But you will also be able to do things in a virtual way that you can never do in that face-to-face -face environment. So as a speaker, it does allow you to become more creative and, and more dynamic and deliver different things in different ways. You know, it's, it's, again, it comes back to this reason that as Event Industry News and Event Tech Live, we've been asked over and over again over the last three weeks, when are you doing something virtual? And it comes back to, we will do something when we are confident that we can deliver it in a super engaging way because we don't want to deliver crap. Well, and speakers, speakers need to own that, right? Like, yeah. And I got this advice early on, and, I, and it was from Scott Stratton, who I'm very blessed to be, you know, helping me out a lot from mentor perspective. And he was like, you know, he's like, Brian, you're riding one hell of a momentum wave for three years in the, you know, in the um, speaker space. Make sure that everything you're doing in the virtual space does not jeopardize yeah. or hurt the that all of that work you've put in. And we did, we have a tendency to throw up a $99 course or a tendency to throw out, you know, a whole bunch of products. And not only like, and I'm not one that says like, you know, it water down, waters down your brand. I think it's more of like, what are you willing, like, what are you willing to risk? And what are you willing to, like I said, like I, like the whole webinar thing, like I didn't make it like a public thing that I was going to only do webinars that enabled video, but it was like one of those things for me was like, I can't be the person that's, that's, that's giving this message and then you know, conforming because the, the technology of a client is not going to be there. So I love that you said that because I think it's not about, and partially even for what I'm doing now, I'm throwing a lot of stuff out there from an education perspective, but you'll notice the things I'm implementing in for the clients that are paying me 
are, are, are a small subset of that because I am refining it and pushing, you know, and, and making that happen. Cause I do believe that, you know, virtual can be extremely complimentary, but if you make some of those mistakes, you hard sell, you put, you sell something and you don't deliver, mm. you sell something and all of a sudden it's, you know, not near at the level or I mean, like, let's face it. The other part of this is a lot of speakers sell unicorns, rainbows, and not executable solutions, right? Like I'm amazed the amount of speakers that talk on the topics of disruption, change, and the ability to roll with what's going on and coronavirus came and they are completely dismantled and they haven't, they, they, they went into hiding. And I'm like, wait a second. Like you should go refund every single one of your clients for the last 10 years, right? Like you cannot tell me that you're, that is your subset. Like you are the disruption speaker and our world gets disrupted and Hey, we all handle it different ways. I'm not calling that part out, but like, this is your time to shine, right? Like this is your, and I, and I think as speakers that it is going to be an interesting space in that, in that side, because, you know, like even, you know, from my point, like looking at some of my talks that I'm moving in the virtual, I, I, I've been selling it this way where I'm going to go from ideation to execution to accountability. And so if a client wants to hire that, that whole series, we're going to, we're going to do talks leading up. We're going to do the main virtual event talk. And then I'm going to launch a group for you. And we're going to do weekly calls for five weeks to make sure that I'm helping your teams implement what I'm talking about. And to me, I take a lot of pride in that, right? Because I am a, you know, a business person that's going to be able to put that forward. But that's also like, that's like owning what you're saying on stage. And sometimes as speakers, we have the luxury of, you know, doing a little bit of fluff, a little bit of like, Hey, this is what's going on. I mean, and I'm a futurist, right? It's like, I understand the idea of making predictions and putting things out there, but I do think it's really important to ground yourself as a speaker and think about that because I, I kind of was in that mode three weeks into the coronavirus of like, what am I going to do? Where am I going to go? Mm. And when Scott said that, I was like, oh yeah, you know what? I'm going to check myself. Let's, let's go back to the drawing board and make sure that what I'm delivering is the most valuable for my audience. It's, it's aligned with my mission and my goals. And that when I do execute on it, it's uh, the right time. Yeah. And I, there's one thing that I want to kind of pick up on there. And, I, and, and this goes for, I think, speakers and the event organizers that I've been advising on as well is, is um, reducing the value of what you offer, right? On the dollar. So I've already seen, and, and not so much on the speaker side, but I can imagine it's happening on the, on the organizer side of all of a sudden doing a virtual event and slashing the cost of the attendance, right? We're talking... 50, 70%. And, and I keep going back to these people and saying, people were willing to pay you for that value, which was the thought leadership, the education, the content. Do not get me wrong. There is an element of, especially at some conferences and events that you are buying into an experience as well. There's no right. denying that, right? So that could be the catering, the after parties, the venue, all that kind of cool stuff. Don't reduce that because that's not happening take that budget and find ways to make it more engaging for that person at home. Don't reduce your budget or your income and then having to put pressure on speakers to reduce their fees and things like that and do, a, do the same job for less money. You're actually probably saving money because you've not got to fly those guys in, put them in hotels and all that kind of stuff. And, and that's what my advice, and, and, and I'm fearful that there will become a little bit in, in, in the short term a race to the bottom on the, on the, on the, on the, on the cost side of things. 
but actually you know i think speakers can can make better money and and actually more income because they can do more events and things like that and and use the extra income and that time to reinvest in their presentations and and, and extend out their their offer, opportunity like an offering like you are into follow-up calls and other things that kind of add value to that organizer and the organizer can you know take that catering budget and send everybody a delivery or an Uber Eats voucher. You know, choose your own, build that into the event, like build in a networking drinks hour, send people beers, send people yep. wine, send people, you know, bubble tea or whatever it is, like invest that money in still providing an experience. Those people are still at home and they want tokens of that event. It might be a lanyard and a pass and a, and a t-shirt and some cool sunglasses and all that kind of stuff that you pick up that the well my wife hates anyway um but you know there's there's ways to use that budget and invest it in actually providing experience rather than just taking the dollar amount down the pound amount down and providing what a, a more cost people aren't overly bothered about cost if the value's there right so right. like that's that's the one thing if anybody's listening to this as an organizer or speaker don't start slashing your rates. Don't, don't all of a sudden just, you know, do 50% off because nobody's turning up to a physical event. That, that, that's not what they were buying in the first place. They were buying the whole thing and, and take the money and reinvest it. But that kind of brings me on to my next point. And I, I put a survey out earlier today to Twitter just to kind of gauge people's response and, and, and thoughts. Because, and you mentioned the the kind of creator community online, YouTubers, you, you have a YouTube channel yourself. And I pose the question to the industry, do we think that actually virtual events could go the way of things like YouTube and pay speakers through a rev share based on views, engagement levels, the longer somebody engages for them, maybe the more ads that are served or the, 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 the higher the value goes up because people are going, this is really good content, they're, they're switched on. Maybe even using you know, that influencer tactic of, you know, Brian, you have like 120,000 plus, you know, social media followers. What if you, we did a rev share on tickets, anybody that you put out there? I did that. We've only had 60 votes, but it's, it's 60. And at that point, 46% said yes, 20% said no. And I think 34% said it was probably too early to, to kind of tell, you know, having that whole experience across the whole sector you know face-to-face pay-to-speak at face-to-face events having your own youtube channel having lots of forms of income and income streams what does that proposition look like to you does that sit well with you do you think it'd be a good thing do you think it'd be a bad thing how how do you see that that working out so interestingly you know some of the platforms that i i've um i did all those that demo testing have that actually built in right so like uh, i know hop in i know hey summit um, have that built into the speaker page where they, you can set it up as the admin and decide, hey, this is the affiliate link associated. Um, I've done a lot of, uh, uh, I have a lot of affiliate offerings. I don't um, do a ton of affiliate work. Uh, most of the time, you know, I, I, if I'm doing affiliates, a high ticket price item where, you know, I can move needles that way. Um, and, you know, in some events, we're doing that for offline as well. You know, I think the interesting thing that kind of wrapped up in what you're saying there as well is this idea like, you know, we also have to think about what is the value of an event. Like, if you're, if the if the event is free, it doesn't mean the event owner isn't making some money, right? So, like the data, the insights, the the email list, the upsell, the sponsor connection. We also have to think about like how does that work in GDPR in the sharing of data, right? Like, I couple that's been, it's one of my questions I asked during the tool demo. Now is like how do you how do you assign that as the 
the, the um, tool. And I will tell you, a lot of the webinar companies have it built in that you don't realize that they own the data. Um, even if it's your webinar to your list, they own that list that, of people that sign up. And these are things you have to factor in. And so when I look at all of those components, we also have to take it and say, okay, not just like affiliate or engagement rates or views of the event, but where can I compliment the sponsors? Where can I comp like, so like, like you said, sending the gift packages, like, I love this idea, right? Like I got, I got one. Um, it was the uh, cocktail hour. So it wasn't the alcohol, but it was everything you make the cocktails and it was branded. Um, and I loved it. And I can tell you, it went on my Instagram and one of my Instagram stories, it was included in two podcast interviews. And so when you think about it from like a, a an event talking to that sponsor, it's not, Hey, I'm going to send this out to someone and then we'll send an affiliate link for them to also buy it. Like think about the word of mouth that I just created to a quarter million followers. And I did it in a way that's like, like it blew my mind, right? It was, it was exciting. And like, I remember on a call with my dad who doesn't even have, have Facebook. He only has LinkedIn, like literally only LinkedIn. My dad's like, Oh, your mom mentioned that cocktail thing you got. Like, I love that it was black and yellow. Could I send that out to my, you know, he's a candy salesman. He's like my, my distributors in my business. I was like, Oh dad, they would love that. And like, so like, I mean, look at that residual, you know, and, and part of that is it's hard to measure. Like I, I always love, like we go online, we assume everything becomes easy to measure and it's like, no, it's actually not really the case. Um, but I do believe there is a connection there, but I think of it, we have to get creative with it, not just being ticket sales or amount of people watching my session, rather what are like, what's that overall value? And then the other part of this, and this is, and maybe, maybe I need to do a whole thing on this part because as an influencer, I mean, in 2014, I got awarded top 25 social business of the future by The Economist. And it labeled me as an influencer. And my boss at the time at the data center came in and like flicked on my desk. He goes, apparently you're an influencer. And I was like, I'm a what? Like, I was like, I, 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 cause it wasn't like, you know, 2013, 2014, it wasn't like a, wasn't, you know, fire festival, you know, uh, blown up. And I remember thinking like, wow, there's no like guidance. There's no, mm. how do you make money? How you don't make money? What things you turn down? And the biggest thing that I learned in that, that time was that not one brand, not one opportunity would be worth losing or jeopardizing the trust of my audience. So I turned down the two largest influencer gigs, both of them six figure offers um, that I was presented and like full contract. Um, I turned down both of them because the products did not align with what, and it wasn't like, it, one of them was skinny jeans. So like I, I've told this story on stage a lot, but like it was a skinny jean company that loved, they did research on my audience and my brand, but I do, I do live streaming from my desk. You see shirt up, right? Like, so I was like, if all of a sudden I'm promoting like skinny jeans, most people don't even know what pants I'm wearing when it comes. So like I had to turn that down and it was, I mean, I did, the money was amazing. It was a very tough decision. And so I, I say this because I want speakers and events to think about this. We have to, like, it's that idea of like you hire somebody because they're an out-of-box thinker and they're innovating at your competitor. And then you hire them and bring them inside and say, do it our way. Mm. And then all of a sudden you're like, that guy didn't do anything or that girl didn't do anything. And you're like, oh yeah, no kidding. So if, you know, if we look at this, like the way that the, I can see this working and in such a fun way is it's a partnership, not a campaign. And it's a collaboration saying, hey, speaker, what is your preferred method of uh, getting things out? Oh, you have a podcast? What if I get one of my podcast, one of our biggest sponsors to be one of your guests on a podcast? They're really good. Or one of the things that I sell is um, when a sponsor sponsors my, my, my show, you don't get to pick the, uh, a guest from your company. You get to pick your favorite influencer or favorite analyst to come on my show. So it's not, you know, brand washed, you know, yeah. a sales pitch. 
but they get to you know, decide who they want on there, it works like gold, right? And so if, if we can think of it this way, right? Like, of like, how can I make, you know, so it's not even just like, do you want an affiliate link to where you're getting a lot of signups to a page that's free? Or would you want five people to sign up for a demo for your product that is a seven figure product, right? Or six figure product. Uh, and I think it's not one size fits all at all. And it's also not even, you know, dependent on like, hey, okay, if, it's not even really keynote speaker versus workshop speaker or, you know, host. It's like, okay, what, where are they good at? How can we come to this partnership? And then my other big thing on this is that virtual is going to give us the opportunity to not think about an event as a day, right? Mm -hmm. And I, that's why I, when using the word experience, I see your, you know, that, that word virtual experience, right? And so when we start to extend something out, we still have to give people a reason to show up during certain times for live. And we have to like contain it, right? Because we've all done it. I mean, I, I hit things on my Facebook and my browser, like save for later. I don't even know where save for later goes. I, I couldn't even tell you where that is, but there's about 5,000 things that I've saved for later that I've never viewed, right? And it's just, it's our natural way of doing things. I mean, I have the it's app on the second on my page browser. of Google, mate. That's where it is. That's where, that, that's where all that stuff exists. <laughs> exactly, right? And, like, and so when we think about that, so like all of a sudden we're like, it's an experience. We can go as long as we want. Well, when we give someone like a white wall and say, draw on it, they're like, stare at it, right? We give them a box and we give them ideas. All of a sudden they're able to put in there. And so I use the phrase swim lanes. Create swim lanes around your event that let people bob and weave, choose where they create, how they create. But it, it's not like a free for all, right? And I saw a couple of events just in the last uh, 14 days that made that massive mistake of just like open the content up. And I remember being on Twitter and I was watching everything in order and it was two o'clock on the East Coast. They had opened at 8 a.m. I knew what they thought. And I was watching straight through and people were tweeting, live tweeting the closing keynote. I'm like, I still have three hours of, to read and it was because it was open, right? So like people could jump you know, and all of a sudden like the, the engagement, the, everything seemed disconnected. So I think those swim lanes are important, but I, I do love when you, when you told me about that question, my first thought was, Ooh, I love your thinking. My second thought was, Oh God, we're going to have the same mistake of influencers. My third one was we should learn, right? Like we, we should learn from this. Like, you know, the reason influencers were bad was they weren't transparent. They didn't know how to say no. They accepted every offer. They sold their soul. And then the third one was they were, they didn't have, there was no guideline, but there was also no brands. Like if you're Disney and you partner with PewDiePie, who's a, one of the largest YouTube influencers, I think the second most followed influencer or YouTuber in the world makes, but his entire brand is saying offhand, very brash, polarizing things. You hire him because of that. He creates content and does what he has always done. And you blame the influencer. I was furious. I did all this content blaming Disney because PewDiePie got all this backlash. And I was like, hold on a second. Like the entire reason he has that following and his content and his specialty is this. You hired him and then you get, you, you want to terminate the contract because of, of your either illusion that you could change them or your disconnect or your lack of research. So I love this idea. I, I absolutely love this idea, but I do believe it's our job, right? Like, we, like let's go to big influencer companies and saying, Hey, what, what was the ways that, what things that have you learned from five years ago to now that you've done that you've like made this whole process easier, right? Because just giving a social tile and a link and saying, push this out to your email list or even pre-writing the email and saying, send this out to your email list, right? Like, I, I mean, I told you, I get 17 requests to speak at virtual events this week, yep. 17, all 17 of them will probably make that ask. 
like not only do I, how do I choose, but like, what would that do to my list? What would that do to my community? Like, I mean, I take a lot of pride in the respecting the time of my consumers, but I'm also not afraid to put content and, and you know, weave things in there. So love this idea, but I do think it's going to take a kind of a collaborative effort. And for the platforms that have it enabled, I think it's also important to allow some freedom around that enablement. And like, even to the point where like one of the tools, I won't, I won't name them, but like, they don't even allow you to hide that part. So a lot of these events, will, I'll get the speaker page and it says, here's your personalized link, rev share zero. Like, let's just think about that from like, how does that, how does that make that person feel, right? And like that, we need, we need to understand those components of this because I mean, I can tell you, I was, I was, I was throwing money to go to lots of events early on as an influencer. And they would, just, I'd be like, get there. I'm like, all right, what do we, what do we got going on? They're like, just tweet. I'm like, tweet, like, what do you want me to talk? Just tweet. We, we, we want the total potential eyeballs. I was like, so you're treating this like a billboard? You're just going to guess how many people look? And they're like, yep. And I was like, and I, I mean, hey, I, I did my job and I, you know, I executed, but I think we grew, right? So now it's like, they're not paying me for my time there. It's content creation, integration. It's, you know, I, I end up doing like workshops for executives when I do these influence, like, I, and I did, you know, last year I did six figures worth of um, influencer work in 2019. And I can tell you, it was a lot of very detailed work. A lot of these events, some of the events I spoke at, I would do influencer work as well. But every one of them was a partnership and a collaboration on what's in it for me, what's in it for you, what's the best way of delivering it. And I, oh my God, I, this excites me. Probably most excited I've been about this offering based on your question, only in the sense is that I believe in all of us to learn from yep. all the previous mistakes. Because if we don't and we, you know, we treat this like 2014 influencer marketing, we're going to have lots of lack of transparency, lots of people alienating their email list, lots of people, you know, um, buying followers just to, you know, hey, if you have 100,000 followers, we'll pay you $100 versus someone with 1,000 followers. And I'm like, wait a second, do you want, what if they both get 10 people to buy your product? Mm -hmm. Why did that, per you're like, you know, you have, we have to like, we have to look at that. So uh, excited at the idea, love that you went there. I had not even thought that, but I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm going I'm to take a positive spin and say, I'm optimistic we can learn and do that in some fun, creative ways. Yeah. And I think, I think the one piece of advice I would pass over both to, to speakers and, and to organizers, um, and it is, it is the art of negotiation, is, is always to offer options, right? Like I get pitched over and over and over again for speakers for my event. And the pitch is, this person has been on, on this stage in this magazine and he speaks about this and he's, he's traveled the world and blah, blah, blah. And, and sometimes there's no, even no indication of like fee. Um, and, and then when I do get into a conversation, it's like, okay, so this is it. This is the option. You pay this much for them to speak and expenses, blah, blah, blah. Yep. Um, which there's no indication of even what that might be because, you know, <laughs> does he travel business class? Does she travel like coach? How, how does it work kind of thing? So like it just creates more questions. What I've learned and how we run our business because we make money through sponsorship and things like that right. is always to provide options and yes. everything is a negotiation. So, you know, options provide a scale of, of, of budget. So, you yep. know, you can hit a, a mid tier, a lower tier and a, and a higher tier. And, and that offers me as an organizer more. So, oh, I didn't actually know Brian that as well as speaking, I could have you deliver a, a, a five week online interactive course, or I could come on your podcast to your audience yep. and have that as part of my, my marketing for my event, my, my outlay. You know, and I think that's where speakers could get really creative is all of a sudden, rather than just speak, 
they can create all these additional value propositions for organizers virtually and physically and, and huge amounts of more value. I was thinking about this the other day because I'm a big fan of, of, of like Gary Vee and stuff like that. And, you know, if I was looking at speakers now as my keynotes, I think I'd probably try and contract them to say, listen, I want you to do six, 10 minutes, one-on-ones with six people that are going to go into a competition to have that one-on-one video FaceTime chat with you. Oh, yes. Like, Love that. That would create so much hype around the event. That, that, that would be something that people would receive huge value in. I'm, I'm sure that that could be amplified through social media. You know what? Sponsors might even want to buy that for somebody and yep. gift it to, to somebody there and stuff like that. So always create options. Don't just think about it as the case of like, this is what I want. This is the only option because, and, and this is what organizers do. Let's, let's be honest about it. They will just see dollars and I want a discount on that. I want to chip away at that. I want to get that down so I don't, I can, my, my speaker budget can stretch further or my limited budget can, can get the people that I need. So I think it's super important. And I think personally, I think, you know, it would, the way that I would like to see it, I think the way that it's fair is maybe, because this is another thing, speakers often talk about the disparity in what people get paid to speak. Right. right? So maybe there's a kind of like a, a flat fee of like, we pay all our speakers this, but then we pay bonuses on top. We pay yep. like, if you can do this for us, we'll give you this. If you can do this for us, we'll give you this. And that way that, you know, the intention of that speaker can get more involved and add more value and, and earn more themselves, the more, more work that they put in, because that's what they get paid for. The, 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 it's for the sure. time invested, right? So I think it's early days. I think, you know, I don't want to see it go the way of YouTube myself, because I think that just ends up, those percentages just seem to get smaller and smaller year on yep. year. And, you and know, there's a one percenters at, versus everyone else, right? Like that was exactly. So cool. we, we all hear about the, you know, the 20 million YouTube stars that, that kind of, and off the top, I mean, even Amazon affiliates, the news has just come out this week, isn't it? That, um, you know, they're, they're slashing, you know, affiliate fees and stuff like that. Yep. But there's still money to be made there for everybody. I think that can still play a part. I, I think it just, like you said earlier, it just needs to be part of that mix of, of, of options. And we're all going through it as a, as a bit of a learning kind of exercise. Um, I suppose that kind of brings me to the end of our questions and, and we've already been on this podcast now an hour and 20 minutes. I'm sure we could do a whole Joe Rogan episode here, mate, <laughs> of, of three hours deep and, and, and really go into sure. it. For those that are listening now and want to follow you and, and check out the content that you've put in, been putting out about virtual events and, and speaking at virtual events and tips and tricks and all that kind of stuff, where can they find you? How do they find you um, online? So I'm on every social network. I don't recommend that for everyone, but it's part of what I do for my clients, my brand, you know, understanding it. And so it's under the same brand. You know, consistency is really important online today, probably more so than ever. So it's iSocialFans, the letter I-S-O-C-I-A-L-F-A-N-Z or Z there at the end. So iSocialFans. Um, and then my speaker website is brianfanzo.com. So brianfanzo.com. Uh, I always say, like, give me a follow on one of the channels. Pick your favorite. I'd create a lot of content everywhere. I don't share the same stuff everywhere, but you'll get a taste of... Uh, kind of what I'm doing on those channels. And then I have, you know, I'm launching a, a new podcast. I, the podcast I've run for the last uh, four years called FOMO Fans was really focused around the fear of missing out. And uh, the coronavirus, I did an episode the first week of March and I got a little, little sick to my stomach because I feel like we had enough fear that was integrated in our world. And so uh, w without much notice, I just decided I'm going to pause that podcast um, probably for, for good and I'm going to launch a new one focused 
uh, on the future and really around the future side. So um, that, that'll be out next month. And I have a new LinkedIn live show that'll be coming out uh, very soon where I'm doing a, an interview series on LinkedIn. Um, so if you're a LinkedIn user, give me a, you know, check me out over there under Brian Fanzo. But uh, this is a lot of fun. You know, I think uh, this is part of it, right? Like we're raising the bar, educating, sharing ideas, collaborating together. You know, I love, like I, I truly do. And I, and I want to give a shout out to the event space. You know, uh, I've, I've, I've thought about this a lot because, you know, when we went virtual, a lot of people came to me because I've done so much live video and I've done so much in that virtual arena. And I immediately, I was like, I was firing out content. I was doing a bunch of things. And I thought to myself, how does that make the event space feel when like this guy who was like a speaker who has like the brand all of a sudden is like banging at our door with, hey, we're, we're here, we're doing it. And, you know, and I, I respect that, understood that. And so I've tried really hard to make sure I know that I stay in my lane. I'm willing to learn and listen from, to everyone. Um, there's a plethora of things that I don't want to do and I don't know and will never claim to do. Um, I also have taken great pride in reaching out to people like yourself and saying like, hey, who should I have on my radar? Who should I avoid, right? And, like, and for me, that's really what, something I was focusing on. And I've been accepted with open arms, right? It's been, you know, and, and some people it's gonna take a minute, I completely respect. Um, and other ones is like, holy crap, you're right. Like, why are we not lined? And I think that's kind of the beauty of this world we're in. And I think, at, you know, as speakers, we have to be willing to do it as, you know, the event groups. That, I mean, I was, it was kind of one of those funny moments where I was creating this content, gotten some really interesting discussions. And within like a two day period, got five Facebook group invites and like seven LinkedIn ones. And I got in these groups and they're like amazing value, like which I didn't know existed. And it, it was very welcoming, very rewarding. Um, and, and, and I can understand that, you know, there's gonna be some ego plays and some people that are gonna sell their soul or, or kind of take advantage of things. But um, I do believe that there's more good out there. And uh, I just wanna say thank you to that, you know, like the, the audience, the, the community, that the industry, because I've been, um, I mean, it's, it's been very, very nice surprise to not only be welcomed, but kind of be able to share ideas and, and collaborate. And, you know, even yourself, some of the people you've connected me with or we've tagged in, in different tweets, all of a sudden it was like, wait a second, you're doing that? I'm doing that too. Or, you know, and um, I think that's kind of the beauty. I, I firmly believe that, you know, we are greater than me. And if each one of us, you know, do a great job of, you know, being our best selves and then connecting people that should be connected that, you know, know what you don't know, and then connect people with those that know what you don't. And uh, I do believe we'll move the needle forward. I believe offline events when they do come back, I, people have asked me that a lot. I'm not really concerned about when, because the when is, is controlled by a virus that is uncontrollable. I'm going to let the virus <laughs> worry about that. And I'm going to know, I, I'm confident that the stages come back, the audience will be there, people will travel, people will get there. And in the meantime, we have this vast opportunity that if we each pull all of our skills together, um, we're, gonna, we're gonna make the world a better place, we're gonna move the needle forward. And I can guarantee, I think we're gonna look back two years from now, so we'll put two years. Um, two years from now, we're gonna get, look back and say, wow, conferences offline are the best they've ever been as far as value, not only value for everyone involved, but just the, the, the intimacy, the connection, the things that we're able to accomplish. And if we can all believe in that, I think we can help each other because it is tough times. Some of us are out of, I mean, I lost every, in, in a one week period, I lost all of my speaking gigs and all four of my retainer clients. I mean, and my, my, my poor speaker agent's like, well, good news is you can't lose anything else. <laughs> like you literally have lost, you know, like, and, and I'm so, I, I feel that, but I also am moving to the belief that, uh, you know, two years from now, 
mark our words, right? I think if we have anything to do with it, you know, um, we're going to make that happen, at, you know, everywhere we can. And, uh, you know, I, I really appreciate you having me on. No, I, I reflect everything you said there. I've been very lucky myself to have an amazing career, seen some amazing places through um, the events industry and the people I'm connected with, um, allowing me to, you know, to, to, to make a living through it and, and, and connect up with amazing people like yourself and, and provide for my family and things like that. So you're right, this, this industry is not going anywhere because we are the thread that threads every industry together. Um, so that's, that's one thing for sure. It's just a matter of when rather than if. Um, Brian, thank you very much for having, uh, coming on my podcast today. Um, I'm sure I'm going to have you back because you've, you've made loads of things go off in my head. It's like, oh, I need to speak to him about that. I need to speak to him about that. Um, everybody that's listening, if you found this um, content engaging, please do share it to your network. Follow Brian on the aforementioned links and socials. We'll link in the uh, show notes down below so you can connect up with him there. Um, Thank you very much for coming on, dude, and um, we'll catch up soon. Cheers. Mm -hmm.